Dr. Be Nice. Dr. P, what's happening? Ah, uh, not much. Here we are, back in the Dunny. Dun, 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 dun. Dunny. Yeah. Is, that, is that how it goes? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are for another one of those quick and nerdy episodes. Another one of those QN squareds. QN squared. Quick and nerdy. I'm excited for today. No doubt. We're talking about something that's very relevant. Yeah. So um, we're going to follow a similar format. We're going to talk about, we're going to define the topic, and the topic for today is emotions. So we'll define that, talk about the relevancy of that, and then maybe some important facts or pieces of information related to emotion, and then what do I do with any of that information? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a huge practical application component related to this topic. I, this one, this one is a good learning one for me. <laughs> so really, when I'm addressing the audience, I'm just talking to you. Yeah, this is all about you. Hey, if Dan. you could just focus it that way yeah. and provide specific examples for that, so I'll take a lot from the practical application. Yeah, that's where Dan will tune in a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> he tuned in. So emotions. Can we jump off? Can you give us a definition? Yeah, let's turn, you know, I referenced Merriam-Webster's being the homie in our intro, so let's go to Merriam for this one. The homie. The homie. So Merriam-Webster defines emotion as being a conscious mental reaction, subjectively experienced as strong feeling, usually directed toward a specific object, and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. Yeah, simple and so. Simple and so. Yeah, so that's pretty understandable, right? Yeah, well, break it down for us just a bit. To me, all that says is that's what we feel. <laughs> and that's kind of going on, and that's kind of going on in two parts, right? There's something that's going on in our body. There's something that's going on in our mind, an yeah. emotional quality to, to what's going on out there. Ah, the feels. The feels. So why is this even relevant? Like, why do we even talk about emotion? You are, I mean... That's the question I've had. I know. This is, this is why, the, for me, this topic, talking about this with you is so fun. It's like, this is literally foreign to Dan. Why? Yeah. Why do we feel? Why do we feel? So why don't you tell me, what's the relevancy of this? Well, first off, I think it's super relevant because it's, it's part of the human experience. It's what we do. And the thing that I always think is how much of our behavior and how much of our mental activity is either directed toward feeling a certain way achieving a certain feeling or avoiding a certain feeling and Mm -hmm. so without awareness in any of those directions we're kind of going about life in a way yeah where we're trying to achieve something or avoid something yeah which can really paint a quality of life yeah so it can dictate our decision making and what we're pursuing without even us being aware that that's the motivator or drive totally so something that we can really focus on is that if this is a relevant human experience then how do I best approach this? Something that comes to mind is it's the idea, right? That no one really walks into our offices as psychologists, sits down and say, hey, so what brings you through the door today? And they say, you know, doc, I'm feeling too relaxed, happy, and engaged in my life. You know, fix me. (laughs) You haven't had that? Never experienced that. (laughs) Yeah. Why why is that? Why do you think that, that that doesn't happen? Well, I think there's a function to those emotions. Typically, when we have those things in our life, when we feel that way in response to what's happening or we're constructing that experience, um, there's no need to go seek help, right? Mm-hmm. You're engaged. Mm-hmm. What are some emotions that people do typically walk through the door with? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that'd be easy for people to name because really they're the things that we all at one point or another become aware of. So feeling anxious, feeling sad, depressed, um, 
Yeah, feeling angry, frustrated, um, feeling disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so you're kind of getting into this granular perspective of emotions, right? Like these little or these words that represent bigger words, even like mm-hmm. frustrated with anger, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, people come through the door seeking help or advice or assistance in how to deal with life when they feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so the thing I would come back to, and we'll get more to, into this in the end of the podcast, is that those emotions, in my opinion, are showing us something. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I've noticed when people come in and talk about emotions too is there's a bit of a framework. Um, I think you and I talk about it as like maybe the classical view of emotions, but this idea that emotions are uh, maybe these different touch points and that's the thing that's getting triggered or hit. So that's the emotion that's there like it's like it's established in your brain. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the predominant view of emotion and and. Primarily, that's been the predominant view of emotion over time. Um, it's this idea that there's a fingerprint of emotions that are universal to humans. Um, and are, are there examples of that? Like, So help me to understand more what you're talking about. To, uh, a fingerprint of emotions, what do you mean? Yeah, that the, just this idea that the same core emotions exist in every single human being. Mm. Like anger, fear, sadness, disgust, happiness, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, that we respond similarly to those so that the idea that if I feel angry, I'm going to express you primarily, you could see this in my face, right? Like if I feel angry, I'm going to express what anger looks like maybe through a scowl or something like that. Um, I I like to refer to the, uh, the movie inside out. Ah, yeah, yeah. Disney movie. Disney movie. Yeah. Right. Is it Disney or Pixar? One of those, one of those, (laughs) those might be the same thing. Maybe those are similar but different. I don't know. <laughs> but inside out, right? So there's those, they have, I think, what is it? The, the core emotions. And yeah. they're kind of driving this, The it's a young girl, right? They're driving yeah. her behavior or his behavior, whoever. Her behavior. Her behavior. Um, and so that's largely been the predominant view of emotion, that those emotions exist in you, they exist in me, and that they drive our behavior in a lot of ways. Yeah, so they exist as things that are there and are similar for everyone. I even think in that movie, right, it shows other people's, like, like yeah. I think her parents, and they and they have the same core emotions that are there. Exactly. Driving responses as well. Yeah, so that that um, scene from, or that movie is built primarily on the classical view of emotion, that theory. And so that originated from Charles Darwin, in his book, which is called The Expression of Emotions in Man and Animals. Ah. And then there were some studies that originated out of that over time. So again, it's based on this idea that if emotions are universally expressed, then we should be able to detect that or detect what others are feeling based on what they're showing. So you're setting this up. This is a classical view. This is like a historical understanding that maybe... It leads us down the wrong path, maybe sets us up on the wrong premise. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, this is how emotion has been understood. But yeah. recently, and we'll get, we'll get here in a sec, recently, in the last couple of decades, our understanding of how emotions are made has evolved pretty drastically. Ooh, Ooh. teaser. So stay tuned. <laughs> so some ways that this evolved was in, in studies and looking at the classical view of emotion was that essentially what we look at is uh, emotional recognition, right? The idea that I could take some words, anger, and I can match that to what you express yeah. on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can make a scowl with my face. And then I would know 
Cody's angry. He's I'm got surprised he didn't say happy. <laughs> yeah. Cody's happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. There's that happy emotion. Ah, the scowl. There it is. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. I, I associate scowling with happiness. With happiness. Yeah. Therefore, Cody is happy. For, for me. And so you nailed it, right? If I show a scowl, you're going to interpret that as being anger. And so they conducted some studies, and what they found was that humans can actually do this pretty well. I actually did this with one of my daughters the other day when mm-hmm. I was reading this book. Yeah, yeah. And I was pointing to the different pictures and I said, what does this person feel? What does mm-hmm. this person feel? Mm-hmm. And she was pretty good for being four years old. She was like, she identified sad, angry. Mm-hmm. I think one was scared. I think she mm-hmm. said scared, but they use fear or afraid. And were you using the images from the study then? Yeah, it was. This oh, was straight cool, out, cool, straight cool. out the book. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we'll talk about this book in a bit, but it, how emotions are made. Um, by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Yeah. yeah. And so she references this study with the, and those photos are in yeah. the book. Yeah. It was really kind of fun to, I was curious to see what, yeah. <laughs> what my daughter would come up with. That's cool. Yeah. So humans can do this pretty well. Um, but scientists, you know, they became a little more skeptical and they were saying, well, this seems to be based on human judgment. Are there ways that we can make this more objective? So what they do is they try to replicate these studies and they would use EMG. So electromyography, which is a way to detect patterns of muscle movement. <laughs> yeah, so so what does that look like? There's, there's little nodes on the face. Yeah, exactly. There's little nodes on the face. So in our faces, we have 42 sets of muscles yeah. on each side. So, so it can be really subtle micro move, exactly. movements. And so this, this approach essentially detects those micro movements. Yeah, by having those little nodes yeah. that sense what muscles are contracting and then what that ends up uh, how that manifests exactly so if anger is universally built into us then we should all our muscles and our face should respond similarly they should be able to detect patterns Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so they use this emg and then they also use this other thing called facial action coding which is basically training observers to mark movements Mm-hmm. And so that they can match these things together, mm-hmm. which requires a lot of training. So that each person looking at that face, it's not sub- it's not based on the subjectivity you referenced a minute ago. Correct. Yeah. So we're talking standardized training, highly trained. Yeah, they're they're there to detect these movements also. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so what they found there when they used more of an objective approach, not just again me asking my four year old daughter, "What does this person mm-hmm. feel?" Yeah. They found that there was no way to distinguish between what people were feeling. Ah, so, so that scowl that equates to happiness is not true. <laughs> it could be happiness for me. <laughs> it could, could be, be happiness ah, for you. That's a, there you go. You're right. It could be. So yeah. what they the, the, so to understand what you're saying, you're saying that they found using those two means of that interrater reliability and then the EMG. EMG. Yeah. Um, that essentially facial expressions are different for different emotions for different individuals. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So again, the idea that if, if emotions are baked into us, we should show a similar facial expression, yeah. but it's not true. Um, so we could have a micro movement that looks the same for happiness, that looks the same for anger, for instance. Yeah. yeah. That explains a lot for me. Yeah. Oh, this all makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding, Dan, what this means. <laughs> Scalper Dan is happiness. <laughs> 
This is contentment. <laughs> Dan is content. Dan is content. Just looking so scowling, just scowlish over there. Um, <laughs> and there's a couple, a couple more studies that were super interesting that kind of led to this new theory also. Um, so one, yeah, with, with these objective measures, they found emotions are indistinguishable. And then another one was they took babies from various cultures. So they mm-hmm. wanted to look at cultural um, responses here or people from different cultures and how that would affect their emotional response. So they took babies and then they would give these babies either a toy gorilla to invoke fear mm-hmm. or they would hold the baby's arm back to invoke anger. Yeah. Yeah. Which would make you angry. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the last thing Dan wants. Dan is a toddler. Don't his, touch my arm. Yeah. Getting his, or a baby, not even a toddler, getting the arm held back. As an adult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So in this study, <laughs> then what they found was that participants were able to accurately identify what the baby was feeling, in a sense, whether it was anger or fear, but they had blacked out the baby's face. So they had covered the face, essentially. So what this then led researchers to believe is that there's a whole contextual sort of thing. Ah. So this explains a bit because when you're talking here, for me, I think, well, people I know in my life, I feel like I can read a bit of what's going on for them emotionally. Yeah. Um, And in my mind, I was like, well, maybe I understand a little bit of the unique discrepancies of those people when I get to know them well or whatever. But you're saying beyond looking at the face. Yeah. Um, there's contextual clues. So, so what are included in the contextual clues? What are people looking at outside of the face? Ah, great question. So that leads to the next study, right? So this, this next study that these folks did was they mismatched faces with bodies in, in, (laughs) in environments. So they would put a happy face on a body with a person who's holding a dirty diaper. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so what you would probably assume is like, oh, if they're holding a dirty diaper, they're not going to be happy. Yeah, not pleasant. Yeah, I can't think of a time when I was smiling and my <laughs> girls were blowing up diapers all day. <laughs> right? Good times. Good times. And so what people did was that they picked up on the environmental cues and they would identify nearly always the correct emotion based on the body and the environment, not the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So smiling face, dirty diaper, and the body's response to that dirty diaper. And they would say, this person feels disgusted. Or this person feels grossed out. Despite the face. Despite the face, yeah. Yeah. It would suggest, oh, this person's super pumped (laughs) holding this dirty D. So so the contextual clues are like their body language. Um, Were they taking into account the narrative? Could they see the dirty diaper? Yeah. Yeah, they could see this person holding a dirty diaper. And they're, yeah, they're reading the person's body language, those contextual cues. And then also looking at the face, which is smiling. Yeah. And they're saying... That person's probably not happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what that did was that led to a lot of research conducted by Lisa Feldman Barrett. In her book, How Emotions Are Made, she developed a new theory of how emotions are made, which is uh, the theory of construction, basically. Hmm. So take me through construction. So you introduced the classical view very well. So construction is different than the classical view. Construction is different. It's the idea that emotions aren't baked into us, but that emotions are constructed experiences in light of three things. The first is genetic loading. Next is environmental factors. And the third thing is cultural variables. So what comes to my mind real quickly with that is Mm -hmm. sort of this um, gene experience interaction. Mm -hmm. So I would think like we're 
we are kind of wired the way we are in a lot of ways because of our genetic loading. Mm-hmm. But then how does the, how do those genes express themselves in light of what a person's been exposed to over the course of their life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cultural variables. And so <clears throat> that kind of leads us to another theory, which is the two-factor theory of emotion. Ah. That there's a physiological component. Yeah. And there's a cognitive component. So here we are. This now I'm on familiar ground. Now okay. you took me a little bit to familiar territory. So you mentioned yeah. a physiological component and a cognitive component. Yeah. So let me see if I understand you correctly. So um, basically, we have a physiological response to something in our envir- environment. So something stimulates a response. Um, let's say, like it creates. Muscle constriction, so tightness and tension mm-hmm. in our bodies, that physiological arousal, maybe rapid breathing, um, what people will describe as tightness in the chest, the combination of those two things. And so that physiological response, I then am trying to figure out a narrative for why is my body doing this thing? Mm-hmm. And I look at my, around my environment and I cognitively come up with um, explanations for this cue. So if I'm preparing to take a test, I interpret that to say, I'm feeling anxiety. Uh, This physiological sensation is anxiety tied to having to take this test, which is going to demonstrate my lack of intellectual (laughs) prowess. Capacity. (laughs) Absolutely. And then what if you experience those same physiological, um, uh, you know, components or that that same physiological Response. response in a different context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it may be similar, right? If I were to experience those same things and I was preparing to get on like a roller coaster, so I may have the same exact physiological sensations in response to a stimulus in my environment, but I look around and I look at that stimulus being the roller coaster and I could equate that to excitement. To excitement, So cognitively my thoughts go to, ah, this is... This, this sensation is because I'm excited. Yeah. And so what Feldman Barrett would say, and this is the thing that kind of blows my mind a little bit, is that she says that emotional um, experience is actually a prediction of how to feel in response to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the brain is predicting sadness in response to something lost, or it's predicting excitement in, in, in the context of a roller coaster, mm-hmm. or it's mm-hmm. predicting anxiety in the context of a of taking the E triple P, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah, examination to become a uh, professional <laughs> psychology nerd. Oh yeah. man, you just, you just induced PTSD. <laughs> what do you feel? <laughs> Anxious. Anxious. Yeah. <laughs> would that be an appropriate response? <laughs> not right now. Cause it's not in my environment. It's done. It would be at that time. So, so then, um, essentially if I'm understanding you right, emotions are this amalgamation of, like you had mentioned, um, there's the genetic loading. So I do have some genetic predisposition to what my emotional set range is. Um, That's then influenced by environmental factors, including life experiences and including what's going on contemporaneously in my environment. Yes. And then um, the last influences are cultural variables. So the way some of those genetic loadings and environmental factors are perceived are influenced by the cultural lens that I've been 
absolutely um, engaged with. Yeah, nailed it. And with those cultural variables, you know, like she references Dutch culture, I believe, and says there's a word for feeling, you know, she rattles off like 20 words to try and describe this feeling <laughs> yeah. of connection, like yeah. warm and close yeah. and connected and that yeah. sort of thing. But they use this one word that kind of describes all of that. So yeah. they have, again, when we're talking emotions, we referred to this a little bit in neuroplasticity episodes, we talked about networks, right? Yeah. So these networks activate and then what can happen essentially, so for like the Dutch word is that there's a, a network that activates in people's brains and brings yeah. about that emotional quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, So it's not necessarily like there's an anger structure and there's a fear, or like a disgust, sadness, fear, happiness yeah. uh, structure. It's not like those light up in a sense. Yeah. yeah. I think, doesn't she say that emotions are built <clears throat> rather than built in? Correct. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. And that's where she comes up with that construction. We build our emotional experience. We construct it in our brain. Yeah. Which for me is super bitching because then we have the option to respond. We can work with them. Yeah. If we're in charge of constructing them, that does uh, suggest then that we have an influence over how they go, how they manifest, how we construct them. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so she says very directly like you are responsible for your emotion oh that's kind of scary i just saw you cringe <laughs> you looked uncertain you, you mean i'm responsible Afraid? for my emotions oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> goodness your one emotion yeah <laughs> anger anger <laughs> goodness me yeah oh man so yeah that i think kind of leads us a little bit into practical applications right so we can understand there's these different theories of how our emotions are made, what our emotions or subjective experience or what's going on, what we feel. And then now we can work with them. So, um, so yeah, how would I apply this? So then how could I use this information and my understanding of emotion to influence my day-to-day -day life? Yeah. So let's start with just, again, that we're responsible for our emotions. Let's just start there. The next thing that that leads me to is that then if we're responsible for that, we can work with them. Mm -hmm. what, what comes to my mind is two things. One is we have to understand the function of our emotions. Mm -hmm. This might dip into classical theory a little bit, but I think it's a useful frame mm -hmm. for how we work with our emotions. Once we become aware of what it is we feel and what they're showing us, then we can make informed, wise decisions about how to respond, mm -hmm. right? Earlier, I was just kind of talking about like without awareness, we're responding to what we feel mm -hmm. by trying to either get rid of it or seek something that we don't have. Yeah. And all that's happening on like a, a subconscious level. Totally. Yeah. Yes, we want to bring all that to awareness. So a good place to start, I know I come across probably sounding like a Dan Siegel fanboy on these things. Oh, Danny, Danny Siegel. Danny Siegel. The homie. The homie. Also a six. I'm never going to not reference <laughs> that either. Is uh, he talks about the importance of naming our emotion? Yeah, doesn't he say he, he has lots of catchphrases, he little acronyms he likes to build in? Yeah, but uh, one of his is name it to tame it. Nailed it. Yeah, you name it to tame it. Yeah, and so with that, you know, what we can always do is we can consider in light of what's going on around me, what it is I feel in my body. What is the name of this emotion? Mm -hmm. What is this called? Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is develop our skill in accurately naming those emotions. Yeah. So again, if you're taking a test, we would call that mm -hmm. anxiety. Mm -hmm. If you're about to ride a roller coaster, we would call that excitement. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to match what it is we feel with an appropriate name. 
And I've found too, both in my personal experience and even in my clinical work, sometimes that requires some refinement. So like um, you name those core emotions like mad, sad, angry, yeah. right? really big, broad words. Yeah. And sometimes it's really helpful to actually um, narrow that down or to, to become more specific with it. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, Feldman Barrett refers to that as emotional granularity. Again, I referred to earlier is the idea that we can look at a color and there are some, there are several shades. Mm-hmm. With emotions, there are several shades of emotion. Um, and so what that does is it provides texture in life and also gives develops our skill in becoming oriented or engaged in our own moment-to-moment experience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're engaging or becoming connected with ourself mm-hmm. when we're in tune of what it is we feel. Mm-hmm that makes sense oh yeah absolutely i mean just so many different shades and i've actually seen that in real time where um in my personal life if i have my own understanding or working with clients to try and model some language that offers more specificity around emotion it really actually helps you can see it in in the response of people at times like oh yeah yeah. That's the thing that I've been trying to put a word to. Exactly. And, and so that is so helpful because what it does is it takes a little bit of that sting out. Uh-huh. It takes out the mystery. Yeah. Like, what is it that I feel? Why yeah. is this going on? That kind yeah. of thing. Let's just give it a name. Yeah. Start there. Well, and I think a moment ago you talked about Barrett and she speaks more about this. Like uh, a lot of our focus is to try and predict what's about to happen Mm -hmm. um, so that we can (laughs) manage our environments or be safe in our environments. Yeah. And uh, so when you provide names for things, I think what that does is provide the brain with some sense of calm about having clarity for what's going on so I can use that information to do my best to predict. Exactly. Once you have that information, then you can make wise, informed decisions. Yeah. Again, once we once we uh, identify that emotion, takes the sting out of it, um, then yeah, again, just like I was saying, then we can spot the function. Um, a useful frame to understand emotion is to consider whether your emotions kind of kind of organize them on a spectrum almost like on one side we have protective emotions mm-hmm. let's think anger let's think fear let's think panic yeah 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 and again this is kind of where it roots into darwin's classical theory in that these served an evolutionary function yeah 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 to protect us to protect us protect our survival exactly when we move to the other side of that spectrum, we have connective emotions, mm-hmm. right? So w- these were also evolutionary, mm-hmm. like these connective emotions, like happiness, um, engaged, affectionate. Those also showed us something They kept us wired together. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we can always do, again, is identify the emotion. So give it a name, name it to tame it, and then consider its function. Spot the function. What is it showing me? Mm-hmm. One example I always use is uh, consider your emotions are like lights on a dashboard, right? So think that something is going on, mm-hmm. and then why is it that I feel angry? Mm-hmm. What is that anger showing me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So protective. What yeah. is it I'm trying to protect? Yeah. And then we can also do the same thing with emotions that we often chase. Yeah. Connective emotions. I feel happy right now. I feel yeah. engaged. I feel affectionate. I feel. Um, romantic i feel you know humorous whatever what is that showing me that this is good do more of this yeah i need this yeah that kind of thing so we can always consider the function of our emotions and what's driving us so i think even being aware of when um 
you know, you're not feeling lonely, looking at what are the reasons that I'm not feeling lonely? What's the function of this moment, this emotion of loneliness? Right. Um, it's pushing me into wanting to be close or affectionate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looking at the function of why is this happening? Yeah. So again, come back to our values as we believe we're wired for connection. And so if I feel lonely, that might feel like sadness. We mm-hmm. equate sadness with grief a lot, showing me I've lost something, connection to others. Then you structure solutions to, to resolve that. Mm-hmm. I need to go be with people. I need to go do something with others outside, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, which might effectively address that emotion. So then let me, here we are in the midst of what I need with all this practical application <laughs> of yeah. emotion. Yeah. What you're telling me is firstly that emotions aren't these core structures that are triggered by certain things going on in my environment. But in fact, they're actually an amalgamation of my genetic loading, my environmental factors, and then the cultural lens through which I'm perceiving them. And so if I know that they're being built or constructed, I then can step back and say, my emotional experience from moment to moment is an, an amalgamation of those things. I can be aware of what it is and I can be aware of what function it's serving. Yes. So I can first try to name it, identify it, accept it. I think acceptance would be a big key there too. Hmm. And then identify what is the function here and then I identify what I can do to respond to that that function that's been put into place voila yeah in a nutshell nailed it sounds like a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) working with emotions right yeah yeah well that pretty much concludes yeah this episode of quick and nerdy i feel like i could go on forever listening to you talk about this maybe changing my life (laughs) getting you in touch with that uh that stuff you've avoided your entire that life. Right, that right side brain. <laughs> uh, the man who has two left halves of the brain. <laughs> Drive it. Daniel Phillips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, good stuff. No doubt. Yeah. No, it, I'm excited for it. So you had mentioned Lisa Feldman Barrett. Yeah. And yeah. What, what was her book? Her book is called How Emotions Are Made. Okay. She also, if you were to go on like Apple Podcasts, search her name, she's been on several. Yeah. yeah. And again, what she focuses on is the construction of emotion. Yeah. And then I think we can un- unhook that from, we have the construction of emotion and then also what, what do we do with it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great resource. We'll post other resources, both in the description of this podcast, as well as on our Instagram. So check that out there. And why don't you take us out by shouting us out? Shout us out, no doubt. So uh, check us out on the gram, beyond underscore flag. We'd love to, uh, yeah, hashtag beyond flag too. Also, if anyone's going to Lake Mary (laughs) anytime soon. (laughs) Is that how you use Instagram? (laughs) Hashtag? Hashtag. I'm Instagramless Dan, so I don't know. In this moment, I find no help from in. I'm just going to boomerang boomerang that story. Yeah, boomerang that tweet feed. Keep it chill. (laughs) I don't think that'll ever get old for us. Um, Again, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, but there's not a lot happening there. And then our website. We would definitely direct people toward our website to learn more about Beyond the Pines and what it is that we're trying to do here in Flagstaff. www.beyondflag.com Flag spelled F-L-G. F-L-G. All right, my friends. Take care. Love you.